0: Before I begin the uh, sermon this morning, I want to just thank everyone who helped in any way with the dinner theater last weekend. Uh, the outreach that was going in, out to other people's lives was was truly incredible. Uh, we met so many people here that were uh, invited here for the first time uh, by someone like you. and uh, We had the personal experience of having our new neighbors come Uh I can make sure they're not in here, since I'm talking about them. Uh, but uh, we're just so grateful uh, for the way everybody received them, because you know we we went over them. We've only known them about a month and a half, and it was obvious that you know that that they are kind of seeking, but not not so proactively open, maybe. And so we invited them to the dinner theater, and they said, yeah, we'd like to come to that. And, and since we we're in it, we couldn't invite them just to go with us. We'll sit with you. You know, we couldn't do that. Just say, come, show up. The place will tell you the address and give you a you know, lowdown on what to expect. But, you know, it's really on your own to do that. And um, They delayed for a few days in buying tickets. We decided we'd just buy tickets for them, give them to them with a card and everything. And we were so excited about it. And they came. They had a, just a marvelous evening. They just had a great time. And the show really touched them so deeply. They they both confessed later. You know, we cried during the show. It was it was a very emotional experience for us. And we're like, yes, yes, that's exactly what we were hoping it was going to happen, because we're hoping some kind of seeds are being planted. You know, and I don't know what that will be. Don't know where that will go. Um, and obviously, we're not putting the burden on everyone else now. when our neighbors to the Lord, um, because Bill and Sherry are growing in our hearts. Is very very dear to us and praying for them uh, very often I try to pray every day for them and uh, just know that our responsibility as their neighbors is to build relationship with them you know and grow that friendship and one day uh, with God's discernment know when the, when's the right time to really have that talk with them about Jesus and and really say this is this is the difference Jesus made for us we think he could do this for you um, and that conversation will come. Uh, but, you know, at this point, they're just seeking and trying to figure out some things in their lives, and we're so grateful that we have a, a congregation like this, that when they came, nobody ran them off, nobody said anything to them that was inappropriate, people just received them so warmly, and you didn't know who they were, uh, you don't know why they came, uh, but I'm so grateful uh, for what you did, and, uh, you have that same thing. You, if there's not somebody in your life that you're building into like that, somebody that you're not uh, building a relationship with, look around because there are people like that all around you. Uh, find somebody. Find a neighbor, a coworker, a friend, a family member, and uh, begin doing that in their life as well. That's where I want to begin this morning. And I want to pray for God's blessing as, as we try to do that together. So let's let's begin with prayer today. Father, thank you for the opportunity to go to your word today. We thank you for uh, what you have revealed uh, in so many ways, in so many uh, uh, different uh, people's lives, the truth of what is in your word. And today, as we look at a very familiar story, familiar characters, help us maybe to gain some insights that we didn't get before, and and from that, be able to uh, figure out what is the message for me, what is the takeaway for me from the message today. Help us to all do that. And I pray that I just be able to step out of the way and somehow your spirit would be able to to speak to every heart today, including my own. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, our Christmas classic movie uh, is The Grinch. The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. And I know I changed, changed the title a little bit because I'm not going to talk about that Grinch. I'm going to talk about a different one in just a few minutes how many of you have seen the movie, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas? Maybe I should ask, how many times have you seen it? <laughs> because probably every hand just went up. Uh, have you seen both the animated version and the newer version that Jim Carrey starred in? Uh, which one do you like better? Yeah, I see you got both. Uh, I don't really like what he did with it. Other people say, man, I loved what Jim Carrey did with that. Uh, we're going to see just a clip this morning from the animated version that we've been watching since when? 1940s or something. I don't know when the thing was, was made. Uh, and we're going to watch a short clip from that original, um, shown many times. Some of you have already watched it this year. Maybe you have a copy of it. Maybe you've seen it on TV a few times. Um, and this Grinch guy is a is a really miserable character, isn't he? He's a lonely guy. He lives up on the north side of a little town called Whoville. He's a bitter, grouchy, cave-dwelling creature with a heart Two sizes too small, right? This little shriveled-up heart. He lives on snowy Mount Crumpet, and uh, his only companion is his unloved dog Max, right? Max is faithful. Max is his best friend, but nobody else is his friend. And Max gets the the raw end of the thing. You know, he gets the, the short end of things. Um, and from his cave, the Grinch can hear the noisy Christmas festivities that are taking place in Whoville. And annoyed, he decides somehow he's got to stop what's going on there. So let's uh, change over here and watch the clip for a moment. You'll be very familiar with this. Just run it, guys, when you're ready.
1: the like Christmas, Christmas comes tomorrow. To you, to me. Turn up the tree with and your with George, oh, who Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot. But the grinch just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas, the whole Christmas season. Please don't ask why, no one quite knows the reason. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. But whatever the reason his heart or his shoes, he stood there on Christmas Eve, hating the Who's. Staring down from his cave with a sour, gritchy frown at the warm, lighted windows below in their town. For he knew every Who down in Whoville, was busy now. ...hanging the holly hoobie. And they're hanging their stockings, he snarled with a sneer. Tomorrow is Christmas. It's practically here. Yeah. Then he growled with his grinch fingers, nervously dropping. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. For tomorrow I know. All those food girls and boys...
0: And early. Okay, we'll stop right there. I know you want to see the rest, but you'll have to see it on your own. I, I, You know, this is kind of a bummer to have to stop these things. The Grinch decides to stop Christmas from coming by stealing the Who's presents, Christmas trees, even their food. You know, all the festivities that they're arranging. And so he crudely disguises himself as Santa Claus. He dresses up Max as a reindeer, and he makes him drag his sleigh down to Whoville. And once there he glides down a chimney, he steals everything from the household, including the tree and even the log for the fire. I mean, he's, he's complete. He's going to take every bit of joy that he possibly can take from the Hoos. Then he takes his sleigh to the top of Mount Crumpet and prepares to dump all of the presents into the abyss below. But as dawn breaks, he expects to hear the Hoos all wailing and crying you know, and upset. They've lost Christmas. Christmas has been stolen. But instead, he's very puzzled, hearing them sing a joyous Christmas song. He puzzles for a moment, and then a little bit longer, until it finally dawns on him that maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more than all of that. At this point, he realizes what he had never realized before. He reaches a turning point in his life. That Christmas is not about all the things he's just tried to take from everyone. And at that point, his shrunken heart grows three sizes. And the reformed Grinch now returns all that which he took the presents and trimmings and everything else. And he's warmly greeted, invited by the who's to their feast, where he is given the honor of carving the roast beast. Okay? So that's the one Grinch, but today we're going to look at another Grinch. In the original story, in the real story of Christmas, the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, the Grinch was obviously Herod, right? Herod the Great. King Herod the Great. King Herod was appointed by king, by the Roman emperor, and ruled over Palestine for about 40 years. For the most part, he managed to keep the peace and to maintain his hold on Israel, you know, the, the Romans had to be satisfied that peace was down there. And he kept that. And the way he kept that was he killed off anybody that threatened him in any way, which was kind of an odd way. Herod was this insanely paranoid man. Right after he took the throne, he had the entire Jewish Sanhedrin, 70 of the most respected, influential religious leaders of the people, executed. What a way to begin. You know, somebody comes into power, first thing to do is get rid of all threats to their kingdom. And he didn't stop there. Even one time when his 16 year old brother in law was trying to make a little name for himself, you know, and boasting in himself a little bit, Harry went over there and playfully held the boy's head underwater until he died. Made a point, you know. He killed his wife, his favorite wife, Mary Omni, even though she was his favorite, because he heard that she and some other family members were were uh, concocting a plot to get rid of him and so she killed her her mother her uncle just for good measure and a couple of years before his death of course not knowing it's just before his death he heard rumors that two of his sons were engaged in a plot to kill him so he had both of his sons executed as well so much was this true of his uh, you know his way of operating way of keep, keeping control is, When Caesar Augustus heard what Herod was doing, how he killed his wife and his sons and so many others, he says, you know, it's safer to be Herod's pig than it is to be Herod's son. Because Herod, as a half-Jew, wouldn't eat pork, but he said it'd be better to be his pig because he protects him. But his family he will not protect once he grows jealous that they might take his power. There are a few positive things about Herod's rule. Uh, He was a great builder, He financed extensive building programs. He built roads and beautiful palaces and even refinanced the the, the building of the, the temple, which was grand and glorious. He was also, on occasion, generous. He was a very wealthy person, and when there was a famine in the land and the poor people were just struggling to be fed, he melted down a bunch of his own gold plates, and with that money, he fed everybody. He also gave the Jewish people a couple of tax breaks at two different times. But for the most part, Herod is this egotistical, power-hungry leader of the Jewish nation for about 40 years, the 40 years leading up to Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. Now, we read about Herod's part in the original Christmas story in Matthew chapter 2. So if you want to turn to that, follow along, please do so, or just watch on the screen. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the uh, rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone... An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up. He took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. And when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity. <clears throat> Sorry, we got one more slide ahead there. So he gave orders to have all of the children killed. And uh, it was through the prophet Jeremiah, a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Like the Grinch, Herod had at heart that was two sizes too small. Maybe worse than that. Maybe he had no heart at all. And there's, there's very little demonstration of his heart for people. It's hard to believe how hateful and uncaring some people can get, isn't it? But you know, you start down this path, you deny your feelings, you deny compassion, you deny love for anyone but yourself, and where does it lead? Where does it Lead you to. It's hard to believe man's inhumanity to man. Caleb mentioned this morning ISIS. How many instances have we seen just in this past year, 2016? People executed, people slaughtered, people killed in the most inhumane ways known to man. The horrors that we have seen stagger us, give us pause. And, And it's hard to understand how one. Group of people can hate another group so much they just want to wipe them off the face of the earth and, and feel justified in doing so. And when we look at hateful, tyrannical leaders like Herod, we see many of them. We see uh, you know the 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 uh, monarch maybe or or the the general who's taking control of a nation and everything is about them. Everything is what they want, and anybody that gets in their way, it's exterminated. How are we to understand such depths of emotion and self-centeredness? Well, we're going to look here in these passages that we've read today from Matthew 2 and see five pictures of King Herod. Let's look together briefly at these five pictures so we can see why his heart was so small. What does this look like? First picture, we have a disturbed king, opening verses of chapter 2. When Herod learned from the Magi that a new king has been born, He's disturbed, and it says all of Jerusalem was disturbed with him. Herod was sick in his mind, in his soul, and he made uh, everyone else sick because his anger was displayed in in such horrible ways. We've already described how jealous, how paranoid he is about his kingdom. So these wise men show up from another kingdom, many, many miles away, probably not even that aware of who King Herod is what this kingdom is like, all they're knowing is they're following this star because they have seen this remarkable new star in the sky that that to them conveys there is a new king on earth. And they discern through that, here's where we go. And they end up in Israel. And they end up in Herod's court before him, appearing before him, asking the question, where's the new king? We've brought our gifts. We want to know where he is. We want to go and give our gifts. We want to present these to him and worship him. And very innocently, they're putting this out to King Herod. Of course, he's horrified. There's a new king? I don't know of any new king around here. They may have assumed that it's his son or grandson that's been born in his household. Uh, He doesn't know anything about this. And so it's disturbing. We might wonder how on earth a little child could be so upsetting to a king. But any threat on his kingdom... Makes him so jealous of his position and power that he would stop at nothing to prevent this child's uh, rise to power. So he's this disturbed, disrupted uh, king, disturbed by anything that threatened his arrogant ego. Secondly, Herod is a devious king. He tried to deceive the wise men, didn't he? You know, he asked them in uh, around him his advisors, the Pharisees and the others. You know, who is this? Uh, where is he supposed to be born? And they say, well, you know, it says in, in uh, Bethlehem. That's what the prophet said in Micah. And so informed by that, he says, well, that's not good enough. I need to know exactly where it is. And if I just follow the Magi, probably they're not going to just lead me right to him. Let's let them do their thing. They found their way here. Let's let them find their way into Bethlehem. Find the exact household, the exact place where this son is, this king, and then I'll take care of him there. And so he goes to them secretly, he meets with them, and he said, you know, I just want to worship him too. You know, I'm so excited that you're here, and and you're here to to worship this king that's born. I don't know who he is, I don't know why he's come, but I would like to worship him too. And he feigns interest in this king. And he says, please, when you find out where he is, come back and tell me so that I may go and worship him as well. He had no more intention of worshiping the baby Jesus than the Grinch had of of being the real Santa, you know. You know, that's not his mind. But he deceives. He's devious. Herod was only half Jew. He would never have been king at all, except that he persuaded one of the Caesars to make him king. He had no real claim to the throne, or to even Judaism. His very kingship was built on pretense, on deception. And he was a pretender, and he knew he was a pretender. He lived by intrigue. He lived by violence. And that's how he stayed in power. This was his element. This was his MO of how he remained the king. He would deceive people. He would scheme. And he would make his own position stronger and stronger. And that's why he dealt so forcefully with any threat, real or imagined. Third thing, third picture of Herod is he is a deceived king. Now the deceiver becomes deceived. The Magi weren't known as wise for nothing. (laughs) These are pretty smart guys. They alone had seen the special star that appeared in the skies. They were alone were the only ones wise enough to make such a long trip and to worship young Jesus because he was greater than any king they could imagine. But they were also wise enough not to do whatever King Herod told them to do. Perhaps they saw through his schemes even before they left Jerusalem. Maybe that this doesn't add up. Yeah, he was totally surprised. Why would he just respond? This doesn't seem to be the kind of king that would want to get down on his knees before this baby that has just been born. And they get down there and they worship Jesus. They present their gifts to him. And the angel speaks to these wise men and says, do not go back to Herod. He doesn't want to worship this child. He wants to kill this child. Go home this way. And so they listen. They have the wisdom to listen to God, not to the king. And they go back home a different way. And so Herod becomes deceived. The deceiver is now the deceived. Fourth picture. Herod was a desperate king. There's a saying, desperate times call for desperate measures. And this is how Herod lived. Everything was desperate to him. Everything was life or death to him because he was so centered on himself that that's how everything looked. He was looking through the lens that maybe this will have a negative impact on me. I'll just take care of this forcefully. And this is how he lived. This is how he ruled. Everything required desperate measures. Herod showed that he was willing to do anything in order to protect himself. And so after he found out that the Magi had left but the baby had been born in Bethlehem, he goes there and he has every boy under two years old killed, executed. I, I can't even imagine what that scene would look like. I found several paintings where people have tried to portray this. They're not fun paintings to look at, folks. It's like the worst thing you could imagine of these soldiers going through and ripping babies out of mother's arms. Maybe it's good that we have babies in here today. to think about that and killing that baby. Every boy was killed from two years old or younger that day. Horrible. And that's why the prophet would say, Listen to the crying. Listen to the wailing. Nobody can be comforted at a moment like this. This is one of the worst days ever in human history. Like the Grinch, Herod tried to steal Christmas from everybody else by killing Jesus. He was a miserable, self-centered soul, but he never did anything as despicable as Herod. You know, The Grinch did some bad stuff, but how could you compare to what Herod was willing to do. By the way, if any of you are confused about the wise men and when they arrived, maybe your nativity shows them there, you know, admiring, worshiping Jesus while he's still in the manger, he's still in the feeding trough. Obviously, that's not the case because time had passed enough that over a year, at least since his birth, occurs before the wise men make it there and go to worship him. And so that's why King Herod says, two years old and down, because he knew when the, t- the star had appeared. He knew when they said that the child had been born according to the star's appearance. And everybody after that point in Bethlehem dies. Two years old and down. Or killed. You know, evil people have often opposed God. Evil people have often resorted to violence. And even genocide. But the kingdom of God cannot be stopped. <laughs> You know, it doesn't matter what man will do. It doesn't matter how he responds. Evil people can do all that they want. They will not stop what God's plan is. What God's purpose is. In this same Gospel of Matthew, we read in chapter two, over in verse uh, sixteen of chapter sixteen, we read Simon Peter's good confession. Jesus asked, "You know, who do you say that I am?" And Peter said, "Well, you're the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And we read Jesus' reply. He says, "Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jodah, Jonah for this was not revealed to you by man but by my father in heaven and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock this, this thing he had said I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not be able to withstand it will not be able to withstand the assault of the church on evil in this world God's will will be accomplished doesn't matter what man will do doesn't matter how evil man tries to stop it Desperate evil men like Herod will always oppose the good we do, but God's word will prevail. This desperate king didn't get what he wanted, even though he killed all those babies in Bethlehem. Final picture, Herod was a dead king. (laughs) A lot of bad stuff's going on here, but ultimately, where did it end up? He died. Jesus didn't. We have to go on to a few verses in Matthew 2. chapter 2, verse 19, in order to read this. It says there, after Herod had died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, and he said, get up and take your child, his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. And so he got up and he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was remaining in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be a Nazarene. Herod the Great came to his end, alone and in great agony. His heart never changed. This one year after the slaughter of the innocents in Bethlehem, he died. He ordered the execution of another one of his sons just five days before that. He knew he was sick. He knew he was dying. He felt like there was a threat again and had one of his sons executed again. And uh, it's too bad that like the Grinch, Herod never repented. His heart was never changed. He never woke up. He never, never woke up to worship the Christ who had been sent for him as well as the rest of us. Jesus had been sent to rescue someone like Herod as much as he was sent to rescue someone like you or me. Jewish historian Josephus relates that Herod died a gruesome death, convulsions and worms and digestive tract problems and kidney failure and gangrene. I mean, It was horrible for anybody to watch him die. But his cold, calloused, nearly dead heart just couldn't keep beating any longer. And his cold heart never changed before he died. He knew he was dying. He knew no one was going to mourn his death, so what did he do? He turned to his sister and he says, I want you to guarantee me something, that upon my death, you will execute all the leading family guys of Jerusalem so that the whole country will be in mourning for them. And it will look like they're mourning my death. Thankfully, she ignored what he said. So when he died, she didn't follow through on that order. Herod died alone. And no one but God mourned his death. Now why do I say God mourned his death? Because the scripture says God is not willing for anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. And while no one else was heartbroken that Herod died that day, God was, because there was still an opportunity for his heart to change as long as he was alive. But once that moment had been reached of his death, there was no chance for repentance after that moment. And someday Herod is going to be ultimately be held accountable for his actions because God only allows pretenders like Herod to pretend just so long and then no more. Galatians 6, 7-9 through 9 says this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. But the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Herod never got that. Herod's heart will reap what his heart deserves. As I look at these two Grinches, the Grinch of the cartoons, the Grinch of the real Christmas story, the original Christmas story, I see that they made a lot of the same mistakes early on. Both of them turned their hearts inward. They closed them off to everyone else. All they thought about was themselves. It's about me. And as a result, their hearts became smaller and smaller. And smaller, They both mistakenly thought that life and happiness was about the material things that we could own, that we could possess, that we could enjoy, rather than about how we relate to other people or how we relate to God and have a right relationship with Him. They both thought that they could be happier by making everyone else miserable. (laughs) You know, I'll, I'll be so full of happiness if I can just make everybody else upset. And they lived that way. And they were kind of like like a spoiled brat because they'd lost any sense of accountability to anyone else. I can do whatever I want. I can do it whenever I want. Nobody can say a thing about it. I'll just live the way I want. It's all about me. And their hearts grew smaller and smaller and smaller. Thankfully, the Grinch repented. But Herod never did. As a result, the Grinch ended up being the happiest person in Newville. His heart grew three times bigger than it had ever been before. Because he changed, because he realized it was not about these things. It was about the people. It was about the joy. It was about what he could do for others. Herod's heart was too small for anyone other than himself. There was no room in his small, closed-off heart for Jesus in particular. Herod was this extraordinarily self-centered man. He was obsessed with power, obsessed with money, Obsessed with himself. And we learn from his example that if you're full of yourself, you're pretty small. And there's no room for Jesus. Are our hearts open to Jesus? I can't answer for you. You can. I can answer for myself. James Martin tells about a trip he made to the Holy Land a few years ago. And he decided while he was there, he was in Bethlehem, he decided he would buy a nativity set from Bethlehem made out of olive wood. He thought, how appropriate can that be, you know? It's going to be a great thing to have. I'll remember my trip, and I'll know that this came from the very birthplace of Christ, same area where Jesus was born. So he got it, and he, he started heading home. He had to go through the Tel Aviv airport. Security was very, very high. And he had these pieces of the nativity in olive wood, in his carry-on luggage, trying to protect it, make sure it's right with him the whole time. Never thinking that would be a security issue, but when they saw those pieces come through, somehow they said, oh, we need to check this. And they took every piece of that nativity, this pieces of wood, out of his luggage and checked it. Not only did they look at it and measure it and you know lift it, the weight and everything, they ran each of them through the x-ray machine again. He thought, this is kind of crazy. What are they doing with this? Finally, asked one of the security people, and he says, You know, we have to be careful that we have to make sure that there's nothing explosive in them. And he said, That's when I realized the Christmas story is explosive. The story of Jesus' birth is explosive. It's dynamite, it's dynamic, it's power. There is power in the story of Jesus. Amen? Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the just will live by faith. There is power in knowing that the Almighty God of the universe loved us enough that He sent His Son to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death for our sins. And then He was raised from the dead and gives us the power of new life, of abundant life, of eternal life, because He can give that as the Lord of life. There is power in the story of Jesus there's power in Christmas and that's why people that don't even know Jesus are attracted to this that's why they're enamored with this that's why they're curious about this that's why they're seeking some answers as they discuss it and why it's so important that we have these conversations with people at a time when their their interest is peaked what's Christmas really about is it more the grinch realized there's more to it than what we thought And that realization we can share with others. John 16, you know very well. Let's go on from there. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We know that. For God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Is Herod in there somewhere? You bet. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come into the light, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. God gave us a gift, a powerful gift. His name is Jesus. And through Jesus we can be saved. And that's what Christmas is all about. A Grinch feels threatened by Christmas because his heart is two sizes too small. And So I just want to ask you, are you willing to open your heart? you're willing to open your heart to Jesus today. you've never done that, we invite you to do that. We invite you to put your faith in Him today and discover the power that is in Christmas, power that can be brought directly into your life, specifically into your life, through Jesus Christ, as you put your faith, your confidence, your trust, your hope in Him. Let me pray for you today. Father, we ask You that You would Uh, Touch each of our hearts today as we open them to you. Um, If we are someone here today and, and we've never put our faith in Jesus before, we've heard his story, we've heard of what he's done and what he is willing to do, help that person, Lord, to just make that step today of declaring faith in Jesus, a desire to know Jesus, to live for Jesus, to trust Jesus for their life and for their eternity. There's someone here today, Father, that has known you for a while. And their heart is, has kind of gotten cold and a little bit smaller year after year because they've become so focused in on physical things, material things, or so focused in on what they want selfishly that their heart just by necessity becomes smaller and smaller. Help that heart, Lord, to be opened up again. For that heart to make a realization There's so much more to life than that. It's not about the gifts. It's not about the presents. It's not about the the worldly way of, of celebrating Jesus' birth or some other aspect of Christmas. It's about you. It's about our relationship with you. It's about our relationship with other people. May their hearts crack open and start to grow with your love, with your grace. If there's someone here today, Father, that's been trying to do all these things, and their heart has kind of been caught in, in uh, the same place, stuck because of all the trouble and, and out of fear maybe, or, or maybe distress, or or just being overwhelmed by life, the hearts have gotten kind of calloused. Lord, may the heart be opened up as well. And may they have the faith and the love and the hope in order to, to really open up their heart again and to risk again, to, to take risks, to love people that they could never imagine loving before and to reach into places that they would never have gone before and to do things that you're calling them to do in their lives. Uh, Lord, may all of our hearts just be opened wide to whatever you would do in us and through us. This is our prayer today, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Jesus is hope. We're going to sing about that today. Hope is here. If you have a desire to give your life to Jesus Christ, we want you to to declare that today. Uh, If you've never done that, you want to put your faith in Jesus. We hope that you'll do that. We're going to stand together and sing. I'll stay right here by the front. And if you want to make a decision today, you just come up here and tell me about that, please. Okay. Let's sing.